0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by my awesome co-hosts this week. Laura Nash, how are you doing, Laura?
1: Excellent. Reagan and I got to hang out in person this weekend, which was super fun.
0: So rare and yet so awesome. I wish we got to so hang jealous. out more. Uh, but this, you know, distributed internet podcasting thing, it, being what it is, I only get to see you maybe once a year. Like when you get married, you should do that more often.
1: I will work on that.
0: <laughs> and Shane, my brother and bro host, how are you doing today, Shane? I am pretty good. You know, I've had uh, had myself a a, a fun week. Um, wish I had gotten to play more of these of these fun games, but uh, you know, the ones that I'm playing are pretty wild. So this is this is always a such a such a fun surprise. Yeah, IF Comp is continuing to be really exciting this year. I've played some more games that I'm really into, and some games that I thought were going to be like the top of my IF Comp 2018 list are getting supplanted by interesting new stuff. I love that shuffle of like, ooh, wow, that's good. Ooh, wait, that's even better. So I've had some really good stuff this week. Uh, If this is your first episode of the show, uh, you might want, first of all, if you're not familiar with IF Comp, or, uh, with interactive fiction generally, you might want to jump back to last week's episode. This is our multi-week coverage of IF comp, the interactive fiction competition for 2018. And, uh, we're just going to be covering some more games. We're going to talk about games that we've played, what we thought of them, um, and sharing our thoughts. And if you uh, want more of this, there's going to be more to come probably. And, um, if this is your first episode of the show, maybe go back and listen to last week's since that'll be where we kind of introduced, uh, IF comp 2018, or maybe even go back and listen to a bunch of other interactive fiction coverage that we've done in the past. If you check last week's show notes, I've got links to a bunch of stuff. So that's a good place to start if you're confused about what we're talking about here. And but, if this uh, is your first episode of The Short Game, uh, maybe go and look for a game you're actually interested in in the list. And if this is your first podcast ever, uh, welcome. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> hope you got the headphones on the right way and uh, just hang on. So you have a hell of a ride. Yeah.
1: Hi, Mom. My mom does not know how to use podcasts.
0: Your mom is not an interactive fiction junkie.
1: My mom literally has multiple times when I'm home and my nephew is playing video games been like, Justin, why don't you help Lug with a video game? And Justin, my husband goes, You know, your daughter literally has a podcast about these and worked on them, right? And I'm like, (laughs) She'll never learn. She'll never learn. It's fine. She loves me very much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Aw, mom. Um, you know, actually, sometimes I do think that, like, interactive fiction, if somebody comes to you and is like, uh, hey, I don't really play video games and, like, what should I check out? Sometimes interactive fiction is a good pl- thing to pick. Maybe, I don't know about any of these particular I've... games, but, like, it's something you could say, hey, try this thing on your phone. And it's not going to require any Twitch movements or anything. It's it's something where you can introduce people to something beyond, you know, Pac-Man and, uh, and they'll have some fun.
1: The number of people I've sent Crystal Warrior Kesha to is astronomical, and it always <laughs> goes over like gangbusters. So.
0: That is an excellent, Viva excellent, La excellent IF game.
1: is what I have to say.
0: Indeed. And this week, the first game that I have to talk about is On Guard, which wasn't at all what I was expecting um, based on the title, because, you know, I saw that title and I immediately thought it was A, a fencing game. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a fencing or sword fighting game. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. And then if you look a little closer, uh, it continued to confuse me with its tagline and description. Uh, the tagline is a Voyager forever mindless question mark, which is a reference to uh, a mind. For, I'm pretty sure is a reference to a, a mind, mind forever, forever voyaging, voyaging, which is a uh, 1980s. It's probably the most avant garde of the old Infocom games. It's mm. not one that I've played, but based on the descriptions of it that I've read, it, it's it's pretty weird. And honestly, I have no idea what they are imagining that this game has in common with that game? I haven't played that game but based on the descriptions. Can I take a second because that game rules, like really. Uh, for you if uh listeners if you have not played a Mind Forever Voyage I have not. Uh it is really good. It is uh it's extremely accessible for like a modern player because it's not I mean there's puzzles to it but it's not like crazy they're not crazy puzzles and there's like multiple its I think it's really modern and there's it feels like I'm pretty sure there's like multiple approaches to a lot of the stuff uh there's a lot of like really interesting like time travel but not stuff going on in there uh Mm. like you're you're playing like you're playing like an awakened AI or something right uh yeah you're so it's been a while since I played it but yeah you're playing like an uh an AI that is simultaneously like running this lab and also is like involved in these like simulations of history. I might be getting that sort of wrong. It's been a yeah, long time. Uh, yeah, it's, but uh, having like skimmed the description of it, I wasn't quite sure why they were going for a reference to that with this game's tagline. And also its artwork, like its, it's artwork on the game page seems to be a kind of a, a vaguely connected to the artwork for a Mind Forever Voyaging Um, but I'm glad I played this game because like I said, it was not at all what I was expecting. Um, the description is also confusing. A man who has lost his mind, a mouse who has lost his realm, a dog who has lost his family and the scientist who will save the world, uh, content warning, good natured undead hijinks in a technical sense. Oh, and in a technical sense, infrequent cannibalism. So this game is weird. Um, first thing, okay. it's got a it's got a gimmick, uh, which is a clever like hack on. So it's it's built in Inform, but it's not exactly parser based. Uh, you're issuing commands to it by clicking on buttons, and when you start the game, um, you are playing as. So I, uh, some of this is going to be a little spoilery. Um, not terribly. So I I have some spoilers that I will mention towards the end. So I don't think I'm going to give too much away in this initial part here, but I will say if you're, if you're incredibly averse to spoilers, um, then I would just generally recommend this game. It's interesting. It's cool. It was very short. It was funny. And, uh, I did find it to be pretty, pretty enjoyable. So, um, I would definitely recommend it, but so light on spoilers here. Um, so you start out playing, it, with a very limited ability to tell what you're actually doing, you can't type anything into the parser, even though it's clearly doing like sort of a parser thing, it's built in inform and you can kind of tell, um, but it gives you a bunch of colored buttons alongside of the screen and you can't tell what any of those buttons do. So you click on say the red button and it goes North or West or something. And actually, in fact, you start with just the ability to go like East and West. You can't even go North and South yet. Um, and it starts continually adding on new things. So you have to learn based on the colors of the buttons, what each one does. You can't really, it it doesn't add labels to the buttons, at least at first. And once you, uh, when you explore around, you realize you're in sort of a, it it gives you very bare bones descriptions of where you are so that it's kind of confusing and hard to figure out in the first scene. Um, but eventually you come upon, I, I think the first thing you come upon is a mouse And then you eat the mouse. And then you begin having a conversation in your head with the mouse. And this is where the the game begins to open up. Because it becomes obvious pretty soon that you are a zombie. uh, You are a zombie who, uh, when he eats the brain of another creature... That creature becomes a part of his mind, and then you can carry on conversations with that creature in your head. So um, as you go, you're essentially collecting, you know, friends by eating those friends, and then those friends can talk to you in your head. I mean, this had some really funny writing it's very limited in terms of its parser you can go you know north south each time you eat a new person creature animal whatever they um they give you a new skill or understanding because you start out as this incredibly brain dead zombie the mouse can move around but it has like i forget what its ability was it just adds on some ability to to move around and then you eat a dog and then the the dog adds the ability to I forget which one. of Well, they, they give you additional abilities and sorry, it's been now a week since I played this. I don't remember which gives you what, but you, you learn abilities like opening doors or pressing buttons, that sort of thing. Uh, very basic stuff. But what really made this game stand out is that you're solving these incredibly simple puzzles with this very limited mechanic of pressing unlabeled buttons in order to take various different actions. The entire time you're doing this, it has a ton of dialogue between you and the various creatures in your head. So for example, once you've eaten the mouse and the dog, you're then having this conversation between, you know, the, the, the brainless zombie, who's clearly a former human, but has no memories of their life and the mouse, uh, who is a former noble among mice, a Duke and the dog. And, uh, so their dialogue is great. So I'm just going to read a couple from very early in the game that I think really kind of tell you a little bit about how the, the, the writing works in this. You know what you need? We need, asks Lucky. Lucky is the dog. A plan. We need a plan. Yes, I agree, says the mouse. What do you propose? Number one, explains the dog, we need to explore a bit. As the slice of brain says, the slice of brain is the, is the human. Uh, as the slice of brain says, secure the installation. Number two, to search for the missing brain. And number, mm, the number that comes after two, we need to escape. Amazing, you're a genius, Lucky, says the slice of brain. Or a little later, I had a troubling thought, says the mouse. What, asks the slice of brain. What are we going to do if we run into a cat? We'd eat its brains, wouldn't we, answers the slice of brain. I don't see a problem there. Oh, but I do, says the dog. We'd hear cat thoughts all the time. That would be intolerable. Absolutely, agrees the mouse. Eating a cat? Sure, no problem. Count me in. But no way am I willing to listen to its thoughts. That would be too much. I mean... It's very funny. I think it's a translation from French, which is neat. I did, uh, some games work really well in translation, I guess, like this one. Um, but a lot of games when you when you play a game that seems to have been translated from another language, um, it loses something. This one still maintained a humor to it that I think is probably like difficult to to do in translation. So well done there. And uh, I I found it really entertaining. And eventually, it it goes places that I wasn't expecting towards the end of the game. It has some surprising turns. That, like, really reminds me of my current, like, number one from the contest, which is Animalia. We discussed Mm. in the last episode.
1: And I played it after uh, you did. And I've I've got stuck on the same spot three times. um, But I've been utterly uh, just overjoyed by making the first time I tried to ha- make a dream team and then I made s- subsequently worse and worse teams each time to see if <laughs> because I'm like maybe it's my dream team's bad maybe I just need to have a completely different strategy dad at the same place every time still enjoyed it so
0: which spot by the way
1: after school uh-huh and dad wants to feed me dinner
0: okay yeah yeah, that was a tough one.
1: I'm trying to be very vague.
0: <laughs> I've also been playing uh, some Anomalia, and uh, it's uh, – I'm kind of sad I hadn't played it uh, in, in time to talk about it with you guys on the last episode because it was super fun and super funny. Definitely on my short list as well.
1: Yeah, I think I i love multiple personality. I love weird games. Um, I think this would be um, – its is it like – personality disorder inventory management like what's the kind challenge of. here
0: Yeah basically it's it's about um you know solving fairly simple puzzles things like um Uh, For example, uh, a little later in the game, you need to repair some lab equipment, which means finding a particular item in one room, carrying it to another room and installing it, and then also um, fixing the electrical breaker. That's not very hard to do, um, but it is hard to do when you are uh, working with limited ability to tell what your buttons do. Um, And it's also mostly just sort of about the, you know, wandering around the space and reading the dialogue. It, It really kind of feels like, you're trying to solve these relatively simple puzzles, but all the while there's this chit chat going on um, that brings the whole thing to life, even if the puzzles themselves are really, really simple. So I, I enjoyed that about it a lot. Oh, one last thing I wanted to mention about On Guard that I forgot to mention that I, I really appreciated about it is that it is fairly gruesome subject matter, right? You're eating uh, animals and sometimes people, specifically their brains, but it is entirely like fade to black on that. Like it gives you some fairly good detail and and funny text about literally everything else in the game. But anytime that you eat someone or something, uh, it is one line of text. It says he ate their brain and then, or, you know, you ate their brain. And then the next line is they're saying hi in your brain and they're not mad about it at all. So it, it it takes the uh it takes the sort of gruesomeness of this idea of being a zombie and doing zombie things and makes it really just sort of about making friends. Like, oh good, I found a new friend, I will eat them. Now we have a new friend. It, it it takes all of the gruesomeness out of that and made it very lighthearted. So I when I initially kind of understood what the scenario was, I was like, that's kind of gross. I actually don't usually like zombie stuff, partly because I think it's a little tired as a genre and partly because that sort of I don't know, um, you know, gross out vibe of zombie stuff. Like the body horror of I am a zombie and my body is falling apart. Like I thought that would be a block to me for this. It's not at all. It, it, it bypasses that stuff incredibly well. Um, and so if that seems like something that would hold you up on this, don't worry about it. It's very lighthearted and it's not, I almost wouldn't say it's like a zombie game, except for the fact that every now and then it does reference the fact that you just eaten a brain. (laughs) Yeah, it's just just barely a zombie thing. Well, you're eating brains. But I think it's kind of um, a weird coincidence because the game I want to talk about this week is by the same author as uh, as your zombie game. And I would not have known it until we got everything together into this outline. Um, but the, uh, the, the game that I instantly gravitated towards this year... So uh, last year's competition included a game that I really liked and we discussed on the show, uh, that was called The Dragon Will Tell You Your Future Now, which to me instantly drew me in because I love that title. That's a great Uh, title. It's a hell of a title. And um, I'm actually still bummed out that that game didn't get more attention. Like, I I had issues with it. And, you know, if you go back and listen to our review of it, I think you'll, you'll hear me discuss those issues. But I... I definitely think the game deserved to, to place higher than it did, uh, which was number 65. Do you want to explain a little bit about what the dragon will you will tell you your future now was all about and and uh, and why it may have placed so low given that it was at least a, a quality well made game with good writing? Uh, yeah, so it was it was I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I can go along with you hundred percent there. Uh, it was a well made game. Uh, and it did have good writing and it was high quality, but I don't know if I would describe it as a quality, well-made game with good writing. <laughs> um, it So the joke of that game, I guess the the gag and the reason that I wound up describing it as a troll game, even though uh, the one thing I have heard from the, uh, from the creator of that game, News Reporter, was he... Uh, Did not enter it as a troll uh, in the contest was that I think people had a structural issue with that game because essentially the joke of the game is that uh, you cannot complete it; it's not beatable, uh, and there's no flag that like waves that in your face and says like you can't do it. So like the game is structured in such a way that you're in this. So you're uh, in the dragon will tell you your future. Now you've come to the offices of this dragon. Uh, and you're waiting in a waiting room and talking to an owl that's a receptionist. And you are uh, just trying to get in to see this dragon who will tell you your future. Uh, the whole reason <laughs> that you picked this game to play. And the, the very title of the game is, in fact, a lie. The dragon will yes, not tell you your future It will never now. tell you your future because it's impossible to get through the door uh to the dragon. The door will not open for you. And um so I banged my head against that game for a very long time. And what uh what I came away with was a real love for the writing of the game, which is very, very funny uh and what had some like uh really you know terrific description and there's some like weird things in the game uh that like you know, any, any IF tries to kind of signal what's important by, you know, if something is important, then probably there'll be a lot of description of it, right? So, there are things in the game like a lampshade that has, like, many layers of description that you can kind of dive and crawl through. <laughs> um, and, like, it's very cool to read, but, like, it uh, uh, it absolutely, like, goes nowhere. Nowhere. Uh, so, um, so, this year, uh, the game called uh, Re-Dragon, is basically a uh, riff on or a parody of uh, last year's The Dragon Will Tell You Your Future Now. Um, And in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like a sequel to The Dragon Will Tell You Your Future Now. Because in this game, uh, when you first open it up, uh, you're presented with an email inbox. And uh, the very you know, you can check some of the email in there, but pretty soon you'll start receiving emails from the creator of the dragon will tell you your future. Or, now I think from his lawyer or someone yes. claiming to be his lawyer. Something, yeah. something I want to say about this, cause I played this too. And I, I was really impressed with its visuals. I mean, that's a weird thing to say, cause it is built, it built in inform, but it looks just like Gmail. Like it says J mail, but it looks just like Gmail. And it's like, they've done a really good job of sort of imitating the experience of like clicking around in a web-based email inbox for this. Yeah. So you're, you're basically getting these emails from, um, and you're, thank you for correcting me. You're actually getting the emails from the dragon's lawyer. <laughs> um, and.
1: Very uh, important distinction.
0: It's just sort of putting the events of last year's game into context. And, uh, so at one point, the, the, Email so the whole email thing is great. Like the emails just sort of come in, and and you have the option to like uh, you know open them or not, and and respond and stuff like that. So that whole part is is good. And they're 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 threatening you about his like uh, the, the the number one demand is that you remove the video. It, so you are playing the part of someone who works for IF Comp uh, and is receiving legal demands to take down the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's very very funny. It's very very humorously written. And then the second part. Of the game is that attached to one of those emails is the quote unquote true version or like the true ending of last year's game, uh, which is basically the same thing, but from the point of view of the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so Honestly, I, I really what I one of the things I really liked about the first year's game was like the terrific writing. And I think this makes a really good effort at um uh, imitating and uh, matching the style of that and also I thought the um I mean and it's it's weird to say for a game that had such a small world of basically waiting in a entryway uh but the world building of the dragon will tell you your future now was really neat like just the idea mm-hmm. of you know waiting in this entryway to talk to a dragon in this office was like really cool uh and like everything about the descriptions really played into that. So all of it, all of it works together really well to the point that I had to check. I had to find out like, is this guy actually the same guy that made the dragon will tell you your future now. And the answer apparently is no, uh, but you could have fooled me. Um, so yeah, the the whole game I think is very clever. Um, I would not suggest that people play it without playing the dragon will tell you your future now? Although, if you do play this, um, in one of the very first emails, uh, the lawyer provides a link to The Dragon Will Tell You Your Future Now. Yes. And this game contains The Dragon Will Tell You Your Future Now. So you can play The Dragon Will Tell You Your Future Now from within the Jmail interface of this game, which is great. So if you're not looking for like puzzles and stuff like that, and instead you're looking for uh, I would say that the target audience of this is basically people who are really into IF comp like me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it felt right up my alley. Uh, definitely made me laugh. Uh, I had a great time with it. Uh, I hope uh, that uh, seriously informed at news reporter on Twitter is out there uh, enjoying it, too. Uh, I did not see an entry from him in this year's competition, but I really hope that we see more from uh, news reporter.
1: That's awesome. I think it sounds almost like the like lost cell phone games. Or, like the <laughs> yeah. you know, it's that kind of like, I'm delving into someone's email inbox, except it's all an in-joke.
0: Mm-hmm. It's this massive interactive fiction, or specifically IF comp, in-joke, which I think is just, like, cool.
1: God, I would have killed for a game like this in Harry Potter fandom circa, like, 2000.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I could see that.
1: It would have been amazing. I played something that Tez a very different genre. It's kind of like a little bit of a a dungeon crawler-ish. It is called The Forgotten Tavern by Peter M.J. Gross. And basically, you you start off and it says, before we begin, I need you to be honest with me. What are you running from? You choose a couple options. And then you're like, cool. You run through the woods, pass out. This Forgotten Tavern um, takes you in. They're not unkind to you but you kind of also don't want to leave so then they're like well if you're going to stick around we got something for you there's this portal in the basement and if you just you know get through and kill the very very vaguely the things over there we'd be appreciate it and you're like what are you what am i killing and they're like the things and they're like why are you being so vague you know like, just go through the portal so if you don't want spoilers a lot of the joke is what's on the other side of the portal But that's also why I played the game, because I was spoiled. So, dealer's choice. It's vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) It's – the idea is that you plant vegetables on one side of the portal, and then you go through, and they're like magic good vegetables that you go hunt down and kill, come back through the portal, and then you serve them to the innkeeper, um, to the – Uh, tavern goers, and then you start putting it on the map. So it's kind of like a crossover of kind of a a very grindy combat dungeon crawler, but you're taking... Or like, it's organ trail where you go get the stuff and you bring it back, except you're also, like, upgrading the tavern. Like, you go back to the tavern, and you have better sheets this time. Huh. The menu's been fixed.
0: Is it like a satisfying grind?
1: Um, I would say the combat is not very satisfying. Um, I was... Um, the pace is very nice and it goes very fast. Um, there are different vegetables that come up and they do scale up in difficulty. Like those carrots get pretty nasty, oh. but, um, <laughs> I say it's My not son the most, would agree. um, it's not the most diverse combat experience. Like I was barely in, uh, I didn't feel like i do a lot of strategy for it, but it was seemed like it's a very light, quick game. Um, I also really – the things I really enjoyed were um, on the side as you – you have a status. And the first one I chose that I was running from a jilted lover. So my, like, status was, like, commitment-phobe to start (laughs) off. And I went from commitment-phobe and built up to, like, salad-tosser the first time I came back with two different types of vegetables. Hmm. And, like, that kind of joke was satisfying for me to play this a lot um, I served many, many guests because although the combat was really grindy, um, I was amused at the artisanal menu I eventually unlocked, and like you know, the the beautiful linen sheets. You know, I love the I love the mechanic that we're.
0: I I think i have seeing it more in IF now of these sort of explicit ongoing statuses as as a mechanic. So I I think this status mechanic that you're talking about here. Is it kind of similar to the one in Animalia? Like it's, this is sort of a common theme in a lot of IF and it's neat because, you know, you could just hide that stuff behind the scenes and make the like changes that it has in the story feel like magic. But in some ways I like it. I like it more when it's more explicit and you can see like, okay, I'm, I have this status now. What does that, what does that mean? How can I lean into that?
1: Yeah, I feel like the status, they do a combination of the current level of expertise. So you, it's, it's a combination of progress trafficker and things like you've been pretty beat up, but probably could punch, still punch with your right arm type stuff. So it's a nice blend where they actually tell you, you know, your health, but they use it to tell you, you know, you are a fighting farmer. Hmm. (laughs) Like, and and I'm very amused by um, any kind of, Continents. So fighting Ugh. farmer, salad tosser, all those kind of jokes just really worked for me.
0: It sounds really cute. I, I like the idea of like vegetarian combat.
1: Yeah. And then you serve it and, it, it, you know, eventually you get better refrigeration. That's why I referred it to Oregon Trail. Like it's that kind of grinding where you go home and it's like, oh, you have unlocked better fridge. You can now store two vegetables. <laughs> like The upgrades aren't um, necessarily... Narrative unlocks. Sometimes they just make combat easier. Other times, like a weird dude stops by the tavern, and something new unlocks. Um, That sounds fun. It is a hospitality sim.
0: How long do you think this game is? Like, is it this sort of? From what you're describing, it sounds like sort of like an endless grind. Is there is there an end to this? Or there is
1: an end. Yeah, it's half an hour.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay, that's less than I was imagining. So
1: it's it's grindy, but because you it's every day the the days are short. Like, you might do four or five combats per day before you have to go back. So, like, the sessions are very quick. So it's it, it's, it's got that repetitiveness, but it's also very short. You aren't grinding for two hours. Hmm. You're grinding for half an hour.
0: That's awesome. It sounds really yeah. fun. I want to give that a try. Um, I I haven't played any games this year that involve combat, I guess, which um, is a bit of a bummer because I actually really like that. You remember last year there was that game – oh, what was it called? Um the very d and one that had the sort of e-game yes, book thing. the dice. Thing. Yeah. yeah, that that was one of my favorites from last year. And it was like pretty much all combat. Um, I haven't seen much from him. I, I occasionally still get his newsletter. I think he's still plugging away at, at uh, expanding that concept. I hope we see more of that soon. Hearing this sort of fighting farmer uh, description really just makes me look forward to uh, Ooblets even more. Oh, you that game looks so watching neat. Watching out about this game. I've seen the trailer. I know this great. is a bit of a sidetrack, but yeah, it's a game that's like a cross between, uh, it's like a cross between Harvest Moon and Pokemon, and you grow vegetables and and have them get in dance battles with other people's vegetables.
1: That's wonderful. Yes, more vegetable based games. Yeah, forever.
0: It, it, it's got that sort of. It has a very beautiful uh, Animal Crossing style look to it as well. So it looked. That's a game that I can't wait for. So. Maybe a little bit of this would uh, scratch that itch. Coming up probably eventually on the short game. Uh, the next game that I was excited to talk about this year is They Will Not Return. Uh, this was a Twine game. It's by John Aliff. Um And uh, I really thought this one was like a, a, like a, a well-done sci-fi short story. Uh, you know, It's not the first sci-fi short story I've seen with this premise, but it was well executed. You play as a... Uh, sort of a domestic robot, like a cleaning robot. And uh, the the game begins with you kind of waking up in your master's or, you know, owner's home. uh, And you're going to begin your your daily cleaning tasks. And the house is a mess. So you're exploring this house. And as you explore, it's obvious that your, your masters are gone and the house has been completely trashed. And it's, uh, a little more than you would expect from like a, like just a, like a wild bender or something, you know, there's holes in the ceiling, that kind of thing. It it starts with a sort of very, I kind of think of it as like a post-Porpentine kind of vibe with twine. Like I've seen, um, I'm thinking of like maybe sleeping dogs. Uh, I don't know if they're, I I don't, I certainly don't know if, if Porpentine is like the originator of this, but I, I sort of, uh, see this a lot in sort of post-Porpentine twine where Um, you've got like a a series of sort of repetitive tasks to do, uh, as part of the Twine game. So maybe it describes a scene and you have to click on a whole bunch of different things to kind of do some repetitive tasks. That's what this game starts as you start as this cleaning robot who has to clean up this house that's been completely trashed. And as you go through it, it becomes obvious that something is very wrong here. So, you know, the, uh, the, pictures in the hallway of all of your uh, presumably rich owner's uh ancestors have been defaced with like sharpies and stuff. Um and then when you go outside there's a tag on the wall that says F I'm excuse me on the uh, the we're trying to say safe for iTunes, F you rich assholes, the cur the cure doesn't work is written on the uh on the front of the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you spend a while cleaning up this house, and then you go back into your robot charging station. And then you wake up again, and you clean the house again. And it's clearly been a very, very long time since the last time that you cleaned. The house has deteriorated even further. The masters are still not there. So the game starts with this sort of very, very um, clear loop of I have to clean the house. And each time I clean the house, I'm exploring the house and getting a a sense of the masters are gone. And as the title of the game would tell us, they will not return, right? So you're, you're, you know, continually, continually cleaning this house as it dissolves into, uh, you know, into, into the ground, basically where, what I didn't expect out of this game was a second act because I thought, okay, that's cool. That's a, that's a nice sci-fi story. And I enjoyed that. And you do that, I think three or four times and then things change pretty dramatically. Um, I don't... So here's another here's another potential spoiler. If you want to just go ahead and play this game, I think this is a, a well-done Twine game, and I would definitely recommend playing it. And I think it took me about a half an hour to get through all together. maybe... I forget if it was a half hour or an hour, but somewhere in that neighborhood. Not a terribly long experience. I would definitely recommend this game. If you don't want anything spoilery, I think that's um, probably... Now is the time to skip to the next chapter of our show. Smash that thirty-second skip button, dog! Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, but what I really liked about this game was that I was expecting that to be it, right? But then another robot shows up, and uh, you have some conversation with that robot, and the rest of the game is you and this other robot named QT trying to dis- trying to to come to terms with the fact that the masters are gone and they will not return. And you go on a little bit of an adventure with this fellow robot to try to find a way to alter your programming to accept the fact that the masters will not return. So you have to cross the city. You have to find a way to edit the programming that makes up your, you know, you, you are a robot. Your very soul is about obeying the masters and cleaning up after them, et cetera. And you have to find a way to change that. And I really liked that, and that whole section of the game was a bit unexpected. So I, I think this was a really well done little sci-fi short story, and uh, it it was definitely a surprise in the second half. So I would definitely recommend this game, and uh, if you like uh, if you like this sort of uh, twine sci-fi short story, um, it starts off seeming like the kind of like I've definitely I feel like I've read the story of domestic robot deals with the fact that all the humans are dead. I feel like I've read that story before, maybe a couple of them, but this one it's, you know, first of all, it's, it's interactive fiction. It's not just a short story. So there's something going for it there, but it, it goes to places that I wasn't expecting, particularly in the second act. So, um, definitely recommend checking this out. They will not return by John Aliff. A few rich assholes. Yeah.
1: I'm going to take like the wheel and just sharply turn it. (laughs) Just turn it all the way to the side, because I played a game about a C cult called Devotionalia by G Grimoire. There's no segue from They Will Not Return at all.
0: (laughs) That is okay. When your A and B cults have failed,
1: it's time for the C cult. your C cult. Um, It's an hour if you do all the permutations, but about 10 minutes per playthrough, and you play... Um, this devotee of a cult to this kind of serpent-y, uh, vague, you know, appropriately vague, um, cthulhu but not cthulhu god, part of the formless being is part of the, the charm. And when you open it, they've got
0: this. (laughs) I'm sorry. I always play
1: the weird games. It's it's
0: formless being is part of the charm. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's also kind of about futility and desperation of faith. So, you know, that's a Laura Hmm. game. Like about a monster cult ritualistic thing. I opened it and there's a photo in the background of this like moss covered, like maybe... Rocks, maybe scales, and then it's this chanting music in the background and there's flickering candles. And I was like, cool, this is for me. Because if you like Fallen London, Sunless Sea, mm. specifically, this is the part where like, they start talking about the weird underbelly. It's not the fun steampunk part. It's all the weird sea, mystical, what's going on hmm. bits. So the idea is that you're waking up and you're doing your daily chores and you have never really heard from your gods and you don't know if they're there or not, but you believe in them, but you also aren't sure if what you're doing is having meaning. meaning um, and you are performing rituals and something may or may not happen. And then you can choose to wake up another day and do another ritual. So you can keep doing rituals and keep trying different combinations to see if you can break through, I will not tell you what happens in what order, because I honestly don't know. I don't know if my playthrough is the way it for everybody, because it's, I think that's part of it. Like the idea that you do a ritual and something happens, but you don't know if it's good or bad. And then you try again is the point of this game. Huh. And you might have a different combination of, you know, you know, wax and stone and form and putting it in the you know throwing it in the sea or not throwing it in the sea you might find something in this game i didn't and i think that's part of the idea the idea is like the faith that you do a ritual and you put yourself out there and you have no idea it, it's not the dragon will see you now <laughs> because, <laughs> because like you do the ritual ends and you can do another ritual and it's up to you to decide if you are going to be satisfied or not with what you do. So a couple of things that are really beautiful about this. I mentioned the music really puts you in a great mood. Um, there's a reread where they let you replay from the beginning. Or you can just, um, what I think of as like the desperation path, you just make a new offering right away. Mm. So you can choose to kind of play another full day with all of the daily tasks, or you can just keep trying the ritual, which to me feels like a very different game. I played with the full day because I liked that rhythm, Hmm. but your mileage may vary. I think it's also going to be scarier if you just do the new offering. Um, But the tone is very well controlled. Um, Let me read a couple sentences to get that for you. You hate to disturb the foundlings from the coves. They are full of such boundless energy in the waking hours, but they sleep like the dead. And then later on, You do not want to lose them. You plucked them up from the surf just as you did the temple's most precious relic. And your heart blood red as the sea for those abandoned babes, some human, some not. Hmm. If you're looking for your Halloween game, this is a very different type. But I really enjoy a game where I don't know if what I did worked or not. And I think that's exactly what the author wanted.
0: That sounds really cool. I'm into it.
1: And it's super short. It says an hour. My first ritual was 10 minutes. And I think they say an hour because they want you to keep trying rituals. Um, and I did. I think that's part of the experience. So I would at least allot three, you know, three playthroughs, 30 minutes.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of sort of spooky or creepy or maybe Halloweeny games, um, the next one that I had to talk about uh, is Cannery Vale. Uh, which is that one's neat. It is neat. It's, it's one of the most um, uh, complex sort of structurally twine or choice based games that I can think of ever playing. Um, So a few things about it. Uh, So it's this very, this very in-depth twine based game. You're playing as an author who's checked into a hotel, a hotel called the Lovecraft Inn. subtle. Yeah, I know. Right. And you've basically sealed yourself in to your hotel room in order to write your next novel. And even more subtle, it's in, it's in like Maine, right? Yeah. 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 It's basically like we, 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 we are Stephen King. Yeah. When this was recommended to me, the very first thing they said was this, this is a bit like a Stephen King novel. And I think that really does hold true. Although I think it goes places that are a little more, I think Stephen King has this tendency at the end of his novels to like to explain everything. You know, he likes to tell you exactly why every weird thing happened. Um, Not always, but very often. And I don't think this really suffers from that particular – I don't know if I'd call that a failing or maybe a strength. It doesn't suffer from that particular condition. It does not need to explain itself to you, particularly towards the end. But anyway, very sort of structurally complicated Twine game in which you you have this sort of loop that you're playing through um, where you are – as the waking author, you write. And what that means is you have a kind of a interface where you can assemble parts of your novel you can click on chapter one and decide whether it includes one of three things or some combination of the three. Um, then depending on what you chose for chapter one, you can select what's included in chapter two. And mostly it also works the same way. You're going to be choosing from a list of things. You can usually choose multiples or you can choose just one. And every time you make those choices, once you've assembled all the choices that you want, let's say you've assembled all the choices for chapter one and chapter two, then you can take a nap. So you you use a uh, you use a smartphone app to decide how long you're going to sleep. There's some things about the game that I found kind of confusing, and one of those is I it wasn't entirely yeah. clear to me how the the the, the sleep the, the whole app. nap system was very odd. The naps do you have the names of those na- various I, app naps? I, I don't have them handy, but they were things like power nap or like there were like ten different lengths of naps that you could choose, and they were all they all had different names and it was different unclear.
1: applications
0: no there was one app but it had a whole bunch of different tm 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 names for different styles of naps that you could take it was very unclear to me
1: oh. whether they
0: had any effect on the game
1: i was going to say I've, I've like probably used this app before <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so you you dial in a nap that you're going to take and then you lie down and then you're then you're playing as the main character in your book and so based on the choices that you made while kind of writing your novel, um, you can play out the, the different scenes. And it's a choice-based game where you're exploring the town of Cannery Vale. Um, so I, I, I'll go into a little more detail about that in a minute. But one thing I want to say that this game um, says right, off the, uh, right, right up front is that it has a very extensive um, content warning screen. And I think if you're the sort of person who appreciates content warnings, you should definitely take a look because it's one of the most extensive content warning things I've ever seen. The game has multiple levels that you can choose from for its explicitness in terms of what is described, which has an effect not just on how it describes things, but also on what occurs in the book. It actually is part of your writing interface. You can decide how, uh, I forget exactly how it phrases it, but you can decide when you're writing your book, like, do you want it to be like a broad market that's, uh, that's not explicit, or do you want to narrow down your market, but use more explicit text? I I liked that aspect of it because it definitely makes you feel like a writer. You're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, you know, people really want to read the, People aren't going to want to read this if I cut out all the, the nudity and guts.
1: Just like a real writer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I felt the same way. Actually, it does a few things to like make you feel like you're the writer. You can choose your pseudonym when you're writing the game. You can choose what the title of the work is. And then you can choose the explicitness explicitness level. And it gives you a few choices. I chose the most explicit. And I wonder if that was the right choice. Because first of all, let me read you the description. Of, let, let me read you the uh, the content warning screen. Uh, this story is intended for mature readers, even on the lowest explicit prose setting. Please proceed with caution if you are sensitive about the subject subject matters, including drowning self harm animal attack animals are not harmed, mental illness, dissociative identity drug use slash needles sex work amputation slash decapitation stalking corrupt law enforcement slash religious leaders. BDSM slash kink slash fetish sexuality on explicit prose settings. Clowns. Man, you had me till the end. These instances may be described subjectively and unrealistically within an allegorical fantasy context. So I will say that the explicit prose setting, this game includes some of the... like. I'm not a sensitive person about this sort of thing, but you should be aware that this game includes the most lengthy and frankly pornographic description of fetish sex really explicit the things that the char- Ooh, the main boy. character of this game does and has done to them w- would make uh would make literally anyone blush and i i was very surprised i won't necessarily say shocked very very surprised you were warned. I know.
1: It's something that I'm uh, a little torn by because I would see this and bounce out because if I don't know an author and I in this kind of stuff is all together described, I'm generally like, cool out. Like, if I want to read, you know, something super kinky, it's something that my friend who works in the romance, you know, book publishing industry is like, this is a good one. <laughs> like yeah. I'm very careful when I have, like, in dipping my toe into um, yeah, whereas this decapitation, is, decapitation. Whereas this and, is, like, extremely
0: graphic and in a horror context. Like, that's a whole different thing.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I'm, I read plenty of horror and stuff. I just don't tend to read sexually explicit horror. So, like, mm-hmm. I would probably read this list and bounce out. Just and that's not because I have a content warning, but because something with this much content warning does not sound like a fun time. So I'm I'm really glad you guys are encouraging it because I would um I looked at this tab and went, cool, I have two hours and I'm gonna go to bed after, and I don't know if i'm gonna be up for this
0: yeah i do encourage people to try this game because i think it was one of the most interesting things i played in the comp but also first of all read the content warnings or you know i just read them to you um and take them seriously because particularly if you're playing on explicit uh the explicit prose setting it means it about that content warning uh it's it's pretty out there um i was willing to you know Press forward because I'm up for a horror experience, right? I'm up for a graphic horror uh, narrative. This game actually, though, wasn't as scary as I was expecting. It was more just sort of generally disturbing. But before I get into specifics about the actual story of the game, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of its structure a little more because there's a few things about it that I think are really interesting. Um, one is that you know you're you're switching back and forth constantly between the uh, the writer's point of view uh, and the Uh, the main character in his book's point of view. And as the writer is kind of continuing to build on the work, um, you you know, you're making additional choices. You're you're kind of trading back and forth because you'll need to solve puzzles or explore the, the town of Cannery Vale as the main character in order to open up new chapters of the book. Once you've done that, then you can go back to the perspective of the writer, make some choices about the content of those chapters, then switch back and you kind of pick up more or less where you left off and can continue. The uh, the writing segments, um, you mostly don't leave your hotel room, although interestingly, you can you can get out of your hotel room and explore the world of the Lovecraft Inn. You're just sort of locked in. Um, but then when you're playing as the main character of the novel, you're exploring a whole town of Cannery vale, which is pretty large for a uh, for a, a twine game and something I found myself really it took me some time to get past. Is that I don't play a lot of Twine games that have quite so much of a world to explore. So many Twine games, you know, you, you have choices to make, but you're being presented with a narrative, and you're making choices about which which direction the narrative is going to go. Here, you're literally exploring a town, and most of the time, your choices are things like, do I go north or south? Uh, you know, do I go towards here or there? I, I found it really hard to wrap my brain around at first in this in this game uh, because. I think this may just be me. Maybe it's just the way that my brain works because I've played a lot of IF over the years in a twine game. Um, when you're exploring a large space like this, it's hard for me to contextualize or kind of build a mental map of of the town of Cannery Vale. Even though it, they gave it an extremely simple layout, you know they they uh, they did everything they could to make it easy to navigate this town. Basically, you start at First Street, you can go north to Second Street, north to Third Street, north to Fourth Street, and so on. And then there's different places that branch out from those places. It took me a really long time to kind of get comfortable with exploring this world because when I'm playing an interactive fiction game and I have to explore a space, I'm building a map in my head and it's based on Zork, you know, like it's based on (laughs) North, South, East, West. Like that's how my brain works for these sorts of games. And it was, for some reason, it took me a really long time to realize that I could build that kind of mental map for this game too, because with so many Twine games, you know, they're just, my brain doesn't map. Like you can go up towards fourth street or there's also a diner here. Or there's also a shop here like my brain couldn't map that to an actual map the way that I do with a parser game. So it, I, I spent a See lot of also time
1: detective land oh, man. See also yes. the one where you are moving up and down in space. I what fi- was that one? Yeah. The yeah, flying one. Oh, yeah. I, it's okay. I know
0: what you're talking about, though. Yeah, I have such a hard time building a mental map for choice based games. I, I guess I just sort of more oriented with to- choice based games to think of it as like making narrative choices rather than navigating or exploring a space. And that's probably about me. But I it took me a really long time, much longer than I think it probably was supposed to take me to complete this game. Um, I think it took me four and a half hours to finish it. Which is like definitely longer than they, they say on, the, on the, the game page. I think that it was mostly because of that. But once I did kind of, I literally eventually took out a pencil and started making a map of Cannery Vale. And once I started making the map, I was like, oh, actually, this is a really, really simple space to navigate. It's like a straight line. But it, I didn't, that didn't click for me until I got to the point of actually drawing a map. Um,
1: what was your experience, Shane?
0: So I didn't, um, I got lost pretty much immediately. Uh, in Cannery Vale, uh, and I uh, gave up. <laughs> so my experience was not a complete one, unfortunately. I I really liked the writing, and I really liked the uh, uh, the kind of the feel of it and, and all that. But I, uh, I I just didn't have time to map out this game. So mm. one more thing about this, uh, just structurally, that I think is really interesting is that like the the game is at it's most interesting when the process of writing the novel um, has these very interesting effects on the world of the game. And um, uh, about midway through, uh, you as the writer start becoming frustrated with how bland and sort of blank slate the main character is. You start off as uh, your main character has amnesia, and you can see the author of the book becoming frustrated with the fact that his uh, his main character that he's writing about is a nothing. And at some point mid-book, um, you throw out that character by killing him and replace him with an entirely new character in the middle of the book. Who's this Mary Sue doctor uh, of a you know, at the hospital that takes care of the, the main character who's just been killed? Um, and that scene was extremely funny. Um, there's there's all these ways that it kind of blends the experience of the writer, you know, you writing the novel. Um, with the the experience of the main character that you're playing as, uh, and then you know, getting more and more combined and melded in a very Stephen Kingy kind of way as it goes until towards the end of the game, you know, you have you have uh you have difficulty deciding what's real and what isn't, and that's very successful. I will say the game left some um some loose threads and sort of hanging, uh, I guess, uh, red herrings that I. I don't know whether I need to go back and play this game again or, you know, discover something that I missed in order to understand. You know, I definitely got to the end of the game, um, but I found the ending like 80 percent satisfying because there were all these little loose threads there. I can think of like three different things where I'm like, well, what happened to that? Well, what happened to this? And they weren't they weren't really, um, you know, there, there's a there's a, a, a briefcase, for example, that you want to open. And I didn't get to open it by the end of the game. I'm like, that's tantalizing. That's just killing me. And I don't know whether there's any way to do that. Um, but I didn't see any obvious way. I think I got the only ending, but I may be wrong. Um anyway, it's an interesting game and it's easily the most complex structural structurally uh, twine game I've ever played. And so if that's interesting to you, definitely go for it. Um and if the idea of playing a complex twine sort of Stephen Kingy kind of experience uh, appeals to you, um definitely play this as well. Um if you are put off by the content warnings, I don't think there's any problem in playing this game on its least explicit setting in which case I think it would be actually probably a bit faster to play and also a little bit less um, off-putting, particularly towards the first third of the game. So maybe give that a try if this doesn't sound like it's your bag because it's still very interesting. So I just want to kind of segue from one game in which uh, the narrator has amnesia to another game uh, where the narrator has amnesia. And But before I even get into that, what's up with uh, main character has amnesia being like the absolute most common trope in video game protagonists ugh
1: because it's like oh we have a world building and oops we forgot we have to introduce it to someone who doesn't know the world so let's give the character amnesia and then the world's new cool like I sound more dismissive despite loving many of them
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Something like Can I think, is trying to play on that trope, maybe not specifically of video games in particular, but, like, that trope in fiction. Um, And it's sort of trying to be funny about it, but I totally agree, like, when I see that in a game, particularly if it's not played as a joke, I'm immediately like, well, that's lazy, unless there's a real good reason for it. So there's a game in the the conf this year uh, called And You May Find Yourself, uh, and that's a game where... Uh, you saw
1: the Talking Heads lyric and was like yeah, I'm playing that game. Exactly.
0: I got I got sucked in because the title is a Talking Heads reference and I will sign up for that. Um and it is uh, it, the setup seems pretty good. You basically, you know, you wake up in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you ask yourself, "Well, how did I get here?" Um and the days go by, but then <laughs>
1: does the water hold you down? <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, not. I didn't find any water. Uh, I explored the house. Uh, This is, I think, an example of, um, I mean, this is a contest that, you know, anybody can submit a game and and it's a test bed for a lot of people and that's really, really great. Uh, It's a great chance for people to get feedback on their games. Uh, So this, unfortunately, this is a game that uh, I felt like crossed the line from uh, buggy to unplayable. Um, there are, uh, there's good writing in this game, uh, but after replaying the game for like the second or third time to discover stuff like, oh, well I can't answer the phone in this game, uh, because if you answer the phone, then the whole game crashes and you have to start over. Um, Mm. that's the kind of thing where it's just like, yeah, you know, you, 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 get maybe, you get maybe one of those before I drop. Uh, the game and that, and that happened a couple of times so um, I guess lessons for future if comp writers is that you can get me to play your game uh, if you uh, make the game an explicit reference to one of my favorite bands uh, but uh, there's a certain there's a certain degree of bugginess that will unfortunately lose that goodwill I feel like I have I have a pretty high, a pretty low bar for for stability or, or bugginess on uh, on IF comp games in particular because I agree, like I understand these games are sometimes rushed to completion for the for the competition or they, you know, because they have to be brand new games for the comp. That means maybe they've had a limited ability to do um, to do uh, real like testing or also just these are these are amateur uh, often amateur games by amateur uh, developers who are trying new things and that's great. And yeah, so- I've played lots of games that were that person's first game exactly and yeah that's tremendous i love that yeah and so i'll see a bug like i didn't i didn't mention we were talking about um the uh alias the magpie a game that i absolutely loved this year but i ran into a bug that like frankly really bothered me with that game that i didn't talk about which was that like very early in the game uh you know you, you have those um parser based sorts of things where you you know you you say like do x to y and you, you when you mm-hmm. say y sometimes it says do you mean why this or why that, right? You know, or what are you talking about? What object tries to disambiguate with the parser what you're trying to act on or, or reference? And, um, you know, in the first, say, third of the game, uh, I, I ran into a couple of situations where it gave me spoilers as part of that. Like, for example, like I said, hey, uh, you know, uh, pick up blank, and it said, do you mean blank the exact thing that I referenced in pretty much exactly the same word or this thing that I had never heard of that turned out to be a puzzle solution for something an hour later that wasn't even in the same room? And so little things like that can be can be, you know, a problem. But like my my approach in IF comp is particularly like something like that like, Oh, well I'll make a note of that. And maybe when I do my review at the end of the comp or write, you know, my little review to the the dev, I might mention it, but it, it wasn't something that ruined the experience for me. And so it was water off a duck's back. No big deal. I'll mention it to them as something that they'll probably want to check, but they probably already know. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it didn't ruin the experience for me. I look past it when, when deciding what I think about the game. Um, but then other times there's things like, Like last year, um, I can't remember the name of the game now off the top of my head, but there was that that, that game that took place. um, It started on an airplane, and I got out of my seat on the airplane, and because I hadn't taken my bag, which wasn't mentioned at at the beginning of the game with me, um, I I couldn't – I had to restart the game because you can't sit back down, and you can't pick up your bag once you've stood up, and it doesn't tell you you have a bag until you've stood up. So, like, things like that, that was – that definitely did affect the way that i felt about the game. i don't know exactly where my line is for this stuff, but i guess my line is like if there's a bug in the game that stops me from basically completing it on my first playthrough. Yeah.
1: I mean, to me it's 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 harder i i do i don't tend to rate games with bugs in them because i just stop playing them and i play something else because there's 80 games.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: If I've been playing it for a while and there's a bug, I get very mad because generally I'm invested in the story. Um, and that's what makes me sad is when I really like a game and there's a game crashing bug, but that tends to not happen very often.
0: Yeah, this one was kind of in that category for me. I, I, I quite liked it. Um, I was intrigued, you know, it's a, I'm into any mystery that you want to throw my way. How did I get here? Uh, but the, uh, the the game really didn't give me a whole lot of runway before I started hitting like game ending bugs, so. It happens, and you know. Sometimes yeah. I'll try to try to make my way through that anyway, just so I can see if there's something really interesting that they were going for, and I can tease that out of the game. Uh, I'm still really interested to see that stuff, but yeah, you know, you hit you hit one of those, maybe I'll restart the game once. You hit two of them and restart twice, and I'm I'm probably not going to finish, and that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. So that's you know still interesting. Uh, more more uh, talking head references in games. Are a good thing, yeah. And so I hope they uh, hope they they uh, polish it a little more and maybe uh, um, put it out again. Absolutely.
1: So a game I have not finished, but I am head over heels with right now. Uh, it's a new relationship. I actually delayed the podcast. Thank you guys for putting up with me. Um, but I started erstwhile, and why I really fell in love so quickly with this is because this is a game about you go to a Thanksgiving feast and you die and you become a ghost. That all happens on page one before <laughs> the title. And the first sentence is it was a pretty good Thanksgiving until you keeled over and died. <laughs> it also does one of my favorite things with, um, that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's twine based, but it does when I hear things with, um, uh, Text-based game where you click on a link and it replaces it for increasingly funny results.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: So like, it, where they they're not um, to compare. Devotionalia had this beautiful rhythm where um, you would get increasingly despondent or like you would get increasingly like desperate as you went. And it was just like this great pacing of like sad thing, sadder thing, jerk thing. This one's like. You click on a button, it's like, I um, first page, you say, you know, um, it turned out that crappy was a terribly understated description of your heart attack, especially with a suffocation on top of it. And you click suffocation, it says, which you personally found excessive. Um, like page two, it's like, you know, and the smell of death is in the air. And you click on it, it's like, and also your vomit.
0: <laughs>
1: like, and I'm a huge sucker for this, but.
0: Yeah, I like that. That, that sort of, like, ela- a click to, like, have the main character or narrator elaborate on something. That's that's a great thing that Twine can do or that, that you know, hypertext yeah. fiction can do that you can't do it's in like, other, other formats. It's
1: like click to elaborate and click to snark, and I'm here for that. And the thing is, this is labeled as a two-hour game, um, but it seemed like, you know— this seems to be a year of a murder mystery. There's always good murder mysteries, but yeah, there are many this year. Um, and there's several ghosts. So this is you just trying to figure out how you actually died at this Thanksgiving feast of the neighborhood association. <laughs> um, and you start off at your death scene. Um, and you try to do a bunch of stuff and really funny things happen that I won't spoil. Um, but a detective shows up and then it kind of starts the heart of the game, uh, which literally made me, I I literally sat up straight and, you know, called Justin and we were playing together. Um, You can enter people's minds and there's an inventory management for clues. Hmm. So you can go into the detective's mind at any time and start linking clues together to start solving the mystery. Um, So it is like a twine-ish version of... Benedict Cumberbatch's mind palace in that type of Sherlock like you cuz you go inside different people's minds. Um some of the buttons I'm really excited to click. Again, I'm not that far in so I don't consider this a spoiler, but if you really want, you know, if you're intrigued, skip forward. Um but the detective starts interviewing different people and you collect their testimony and you collect different things. You can go inside their brain, you can go inside the detective's brain. And there's also a button that says possess Justin. Like I can interview Justin. I can go inside Justin's brain. I can also try to possess him. And Hmm. I don't know if it's a joke or if it's going to do something horrible or if it's going to unlock narrative. And I honestly don't know of any game I've played in the last couple of years of I have comp where I didn't have a tonal idea of what was going to happen when I clicked on a button. And that, I think, is a huge strength of this game. Um I don't know if I click that button, if I'm actually going to maybe kill Justin or wreck his life or freak him out. Or it just could be like you try to possess him and it doesn't work. Do so you're it. not that kind of ghost. Lol. Or it could be that's how I move the story forward. Who knows? I don't. I'm really excited to find out. So that's Erstwhile by Maddie Fiala, or Fiala. Don't know if you're Spanish or not. Sorry. And Marjike Perry. I butchered both your names, but your, your story is really good. So hopefully the nice things I said about your game (laughs) will make up for my mispronunciation, but really this year. This year. Yeah. Oh, there's it's it's hijinks, but it's like, I mean, you it's hijinks that has an Emily Dickinson poem on the title screen, which is lovely. Like it's this great mix. Um, It, can say things like, the stench of death still lingers in the air. It doesn't mix well with a turkey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Poetry. (laughs) And let's face
1: it, we're all going to be having, you know, turkey at some point in the next couple months, whether we like it or not.
0: Very seasonal. You're right.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, the the last game that I think we have time to talk about this uh, week is one that I'm, I'm really glad I made time to play. Um, because at first I, I, um, at first I bounced off of it a little bit because it has an option to play online, but I will just warn you right off the bat that if you try to play this online on, well, first of all, if you try to play it online on iOS, it won't work at all. And if you try it in Safari on, at least on my Mac, it wasn't great but it offers a downloadable application and i decided to download it and play it it has a, a you know download available for windows mac and linux and i would recommend doing that the game that i'm talking about is iag alpha which is by um, and uh, again apologies about names um i think it's sir hill um Muzhaisky. uh anyway it's a very it's an interesting system so actually before we before i tell you a little bit of, before i tell you much about the uh the way the game plays out um uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about something about it that I, I can talk about completely free of spoilers, uh, and that I think is very interesting about this game. And that is that it's in a system that I'm not familiar with, and I don't think I've seen a lot of games in. And it's not super polished. Like I said, you know, the browser option for it didn't work particularly well for me. But it does. It does do some really interesting things. It's a choice based game. But it plays much, much more like a uh, point-and-click adventure game than uh, than something like Twine typically tends to, and it made me think with you know the sort of choose-your-own-adventure style, and it made me think a little bit about the the specific distinction or difference between those two, and like what that means. Um, you know, Laura, when you were talking about some of the games that you played, like uh, like even erstwhile. You know, you'll you'll have some text on screen, and you can tell what text is interactable and what isn't. Mm-hmm. But you don't always know what's going to happen when you click on something. And sometimes that's a very good and amusing thing. You know, you click on something, and it just presents you with additional funny text or something. But sometimes I actually do find that kind of frustrating. So for example, like you're playing a game, and you, it gives you a description of a scene, maybe a lengthy description of like a room or something. And there's a bunch of different things you can click on. And it's like, well, do, when I click on this object, is that going to take me away from the description of the room that maybe I haven't finished reading yet? Or is it going to interact with, like, if I click on this object, is it going to take that object? Is it going to change something in the scene? Like sometimes you, you, you run into this problem with interactive, with uh, these choice-based games where, you know, it's not always a hundred percent clear what's going to happen when you click on something. And that's something that this game solves really, really well by being a lot more like a point and click adventure game. You know, this game will give you a description of a room and it might say that there's a door. If you click on the door, it does not take you through that door. It describes the door and then it adds an option to go through the door to a little menu that appears at the top of your screen. So it's just something I thought about while I was playing through this game was like, you know what? I found that really a bit of a relief because i i always knew that i could click on anything on screen except those specific things that it that were like usually a second level option and know that i wasn't going to be taken out of the text i was reading i could click on things and kind of interact with them as i was reading through it and it didn't it didn't sort of take me away from what i was doing i really appreciated that about the structure of this and it's just one small thing but it made me maybe think about that in relation to other games while i was playing it so i thought that was cool anyway That said, this game has a structure that is in and of itself a little bit of a spoiler. So that's pretty much the only thing I could say about this game, that it is cool. It is one of the best things I've played in the comp this year and that it had that that particular aspect to it before I get into territory that might take away, wouldn't I, I'm not going to do anything. I think will be a, a, a total spoiler, but that might take away some of the surprise of what's so interesting about this game. So I'll give you the opportunity to skip this chapter. I'll have another chapter marker before we do our admin and outro at the end. But I, I, and I, I'm going to go ahead and talk about what I think is so interesting about this game. Um, right on the tin, this game tells you that it is a uh, – it, so it very much in the in the vein of the beginner's guide, it tells you that this is an – the IAG Alpha stands for Incomplete Adventure Game Alpha. It tells you right off the, the bat that the author gives you some text where he tells you that this was an incomplete game that he never finished that was created for a game jam. And, you know, he, he's decided to present it uh, for people to see, even if it's, uh, you know, an incomplete game, because maybe there'll be some interest there. And so as you start playing through it, um, you're playing through what seems to be an adventure game about a scientist returning to his lab. Um, and there's been some sort of double crossing, um, where, where the game gets quite interesting is that because the game is broken almost from the beginning, there is a debugger present And-
1: Magic circle.
0: I was absolutely, yes. Immediately when I saw that, I was like, ooh, magic circle. And in fact, the dev specifically calls out the magic circle- and The Beginner's Guide and The Stanley Parable as uh, as inspirations yeah. for this for game. For those
1: who haven't listened to our back catalog, we've covered all three of those games, and they're games about games. Yes. That's probably all we need to say.
0: Yes. They are excellent games about games. If you aren't yes. familiar with those games, they are all three really, really cool. And in particular, the the um, the debugger aspect of this game is very the magic circle. So as you're playing through this game, you have some very typical adventure game puzzles, Um but you find that you need to use the debugger to work around some of the coding problems that are left from this game being incomplete. So a, a very quick example from very early in the game um, would be that you need to uh, screw in a light bulb and you can't reach the light bulb. The only thing that you can actually do in the debugger, you can examine any item in the game. So you click on your debugger and then click on an item in the game. And it opens up a very command prompt looking debugger where you can see some of the quote unquote code that makes up that item in the game. And it's cool because this provides both a puzzle and a hint system. Because you can click on an item and see the code that's involved in it, and you can see, okay, in order to access that, you know, in order to be able to take X action, which I can see in the code of the light bulb, if I want to unscrew that light bulb, I need to have the ladder in my inventory. You can just read that in the code. And so it's sort of giving you a hint there, but also the debugger allows you to rename objects in the game. And so uh, you can take a different object in the game, rename it to ladder, and suddenly you have the object that you need in order to complete the climb up the ladder and unscrew the, the, uh, the light bulb puzzle, basically. And they get progressively more interesting and complicated from there. It also layers on this aspect of that you are, it's sort of adversarial. Your relationship with the developer or creator of the game is, is a little bit adversarial. You meet in the game, another character um, who speaks to you through the game and is sort of trapped in the loop of the game. And so your goal is to sort of circumvent the brokenness of the game and circumvent the author's intent and assist this other character in the game. Uh, And the puzzles are pretty neat. The only complaint I have about this game is that I would have liked it to be, I would have liked more of it. It was very short. um, And I thought it was so cool. Uh, that I, I would have liked this game to be twice as long. I would have continued to enjoy it the entire time uh, or maybe even longer. This is a really, really cool game in a lot of ways. I loved the way the debugger puzzle or the debugger feature worked as both a hint system and as a as an element of all of the puzzles. And I love the way that it continually found new ways to use that. Even though the debugger was limited only to letting you rename objects, like I could see a longer or more expanded version of this game, giving you other powers that that you would be able to do on these objects. And, you know, layering on more possibilities to these puzzles, but even with just the ability to take an object and change its name from a to B um, it, it was it was extremely cool. So I I would absolutely recommend this game, even though it's something that you have, you cannot really, well, maybe you, maybe you'd have better results than I would. I didn't try this in Chrome, for example, but, um, I I did not have good results with the web player, but if you download this game, I think it will maybe take you an hour. And I absolutely recommend it. It's, it, it very quickly became one of my favorite things in the comp this year. So, um, IAG alpha, uh, is definitely recommended, uh, check it out. And, um, if you liked this, you also will probably like the Magic Circle. So give that a try too. Yeah, the Magic Circle was really great. So this sounds like it would be super fun. Yeah, it was yes. cool. Oh, oh, one, one other thing. The uh, the game on in the description um, tells you there are two endings to this game. Credits roll at the end of the game. If you do not see the credits roll, then you have not reached the end of the game yet, that's in the description on the, uh, on the IF comp page. I think that's a a smart thing for the developer of this to have said, because I got to the end of the ending of the game. Um, I actually think I did see credits roll, but I don't think they were the final credits. So I think maybe that could have been rephrased a little bit, but this game will, you'll get to the end. You'll think you're done. Um, save before you get to what seems like the final you know, the final end. You'll have plenty of opportunity to save. Then reload that save and give it another real good think. Because there's a there's an alternate ending to the game that is uh, a really good sort of final exam for, like, thinking about what you learned to do with that debugger. Uh, it gives you a, a new option. You're, you know, reusing a skill you've already, uh, already uh, acquired in a new and interesting mm-hmm. way that I really liked. It was a great ending. So, at the end of every episode, we have a segment we like to call What's Making You Happy This Week, and you'll never guess what it's about. Shane, what's been making you happy this week? Ah, so this week, I mean, I've been pretty darn busy. Uh, so I've been uh, really pleased. Anytime I get, get really busy, yeah, the, the thing that saves me uh, could be just a new show on Netflix that I get to watch a couple of episodes a night before going to bed. And to, and this month, of course it's Halloween. You know, we've been talking about some spooky games here. Uh, the spooky show of the year, if you're not already on it, is the haunting of Hill house. And mm. uh, you know, this game is getting, getting I keep calling things games. That are games. <laughs> that's the, running games that's the podcast. This show is, uh, this show is honestly like it's, uh, I think it goes above just like spooky scary uh to the level of like just like a really good family drama that also is like super spooky scary um the the production on it's really really good and it's just drop dead horrifying uh at parts um Netflix has really kind of knocked it out uh with this one this is uh you know it, I think I think they've got to know that like uh you know people really want that horror, uh, when it when the calendar turns to October, people people want a really good horror show to drop, and uh, thank God they're there with it. And oh my God, so scary!
1: I mean, I really want to watch it. Shirley Jackson is my she's not my BFF. I was going to say that, but like I I she's probably like not. I mean she's dead, but she's also <laughs> like a, a very famous author who had problems with her marriage. But I think Shirley Jackson is an amazing one of my favorite authors of all right. time. I am I've a heard this is a
0: bit of a loose off. adapt adaptation.
1: It is. I'm a little mad at Netflix because apparently they like show a cover of a book. Called the haunting of Hill House, and they like put some dude's name on the bottom, what, like really? Steve somebody, and I was like, "Come on!" Like, <laughs> okay, so yeah, so in
0: the uh, in the show, uh, <laughs> one of the one of the characters has capitalized on the kind of horror, childhood horror that the family went through by writing a book about it, and that's that's the that's, book.
1: That's the book. So and it's I'm like, like the
0: oldest son.
1: I'm like. Give her title credit. Put her name on the book. Come on. Um, But other than that, like, I've heard only good things about that.
0: Yeah, it's it's insane. Like, it's uh, it's got a a very unconventional structure. I won't spoil anything there. But like, yeah, uh, so I, I can't say that I've really watched the show because Jamie watches a ton of horror. Most of it doesn't appeal to me. Um, And so I have a very – I have a habit of Jamie putting on something horror-y and then I do something else on my iPad or something in the same room. So I'm kind of like halfway paying attention. So I'm kind of tuned in and out. Um, But like it's very – I've been very intrigued by it even though I've been a little bit confused by it because of not paying full attention because it has a very interesting structure. It seems to be telling the same same story uh, in – in different sequences from different characters, perspectives um, jumping forward and backward in time. It's uh, definitely it's, it's got an interesting structure and it, it's doing a lot with that. There were some big surprises towards the end of the season that were um, that recontextualized a lot of very important stuff from earlier in the show in a very distressing way. So pretty cool. Yeah. I, I gotta say um, the, the writing is good. The, like the acting is good. Um, it makes a ton of use of practical effects. So, like, there are are a lot of, like, huge scares in this show that are literally just a person in scary makeup going like, Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things I really like is, like, there's this... There's a distinction to me between, like, things that are scary because, uh, like... You know, something scary is about to happen versus things that are scary because, like, you know, something just jumped out and horrible because things that are scary because, like, something horrible happened and now it's like, hor- it's like, you know, screwed you up. So this is very much in the former camp. Like, they, there are, there are long, long sequences in this show where, like, it is clear that a ghost is going to pop up and scare you. <laughs> <laughs> like, and you, and you know that they are, that they are winding up for like a big scary moment or something really shocking and traumatizing is really winding up for you. And like, they will just draw that out and milk the heck out of it. <laughs> yeah. Like it'll for minutes and minutes. And it's a, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's not something to watch alone or uh, in the dark too much. <laughs> so yeah, that's what's making me happy this week is uh, scaring myself silly with that show. Awesome. Uh, well, I've had a really, really good week this week, uh, largely thanks to Laura. So first of all, thank you, Laura, for showing me a very good time uh, in Chicago. And the Anytime. the two specific things about my my uh, weekend in Chicago that made me super happy. Uh, were both bars that we visited. Pretty much our day was like day drinking and, and wandering. They were, they were
1: bars we visited back to back and then kind of wandered aimlessly around semi-drunk for a while. Yeah,
0: that but they were both well. so good. So I'm very into uh, tiki bars. And so uh, I'd i been to the other tiki bar in Chicago, uh, Three Dots and a Dash, and had a great time there, but I'd never been to Lost Lake. Uh, and Lost Lake is a really, really good tiki bar. We went pretty early So, uh, they'd kind of uh, shut down part of the bar, although that really just meant that you could kind of wander around and look at their decor without having to like awkwardly stand, you know, like look past people or like try to shove past them to like look at the stuff at the back of a booth they're sitting in. So that was actually kind of fun, but it was a great place, great drinks and, uh, Their signature banana daiquiri is so cute. They take a a half of a banana and they cut a mouth in it and stick little fins on it and turn it into a little dolphin jumping out of your banana daiquiri. Very cute. So I loved Lost Lake. But then after that, we we went to another bar called Estereo, which I also really liked. They do sort of like uh, cocktails on tap that were really delicious. But the best part of that—you making me so jealous! Oh, I know it was great. But the best part of that was that we just happened to show up in like the middle of a dog meetup or something
1: unclear. Uh, the according to the bartender, his friend who makes homemade bark. Uh, Barkery treats. Um <laughs> just decided to show up that day and texted some friends and people who know dog who have dogs in that neighborhood all know each other and they just all texted each other and literally twelve dogs came to the bar.
0: It was it yeah, was great. More. Like day drinking in a beautiful bar, like a really nice space. This place is like one of those triangle buildings that you sometimes see when you've got weird intersections and some very narrow space. And they've turned this beautiful like triangle space with lots of windows into a beautiful bar um day drinking surrounded by happy puppies it was so great it was it was like perfect happenstance so that's the thing that made me the happiest this week and if you happen to be in chicago both of those bars are great lost lake and estereo both great places to go so thank you for introducing me to both of them laura
1: and uh, we pet so many dogs and i snapchat i i made everyone on snapchat jealous including shane sorry shane yes (laughs) I was like, I'm here with Reagan, but mostly I'm just showing you pictures of the dogs I'm petting.
0: (laughs) I love dogs. So, Laura, what's making you happy this week?
1: So, mine is delightful and a tiny bit creepy, but it doesn't hurt anyone. So, I'm (laughs) encouraging you, if you like an illustrator or someone on uh, Twitter or Instagram that you think has great taste. Like, I follow a ton of illustrators and filmmakers and, like, just people who put good, beautiful things in my feed – Take that username and search it on Etsy. Go to Etsy.com slash people and put that username in and see if they have an Etsy profile and you can see all of their favorites and buy the stuff they favorite. Mm. Because generally if someone makes good stuff, they like good stuff because a lot of people use Etsy as therapy they're like, I like these beautiful things. Um, And it's kind of a way to... it's not as creepy as it sounds because they might not own these things. It's not like you're taking pictures of their house. But, like, I not found exactly. out. exactly. Someone, I, I just, <laughs> I thought of this because someone on Twitter I liked kept posting about all this um Uh, glassware that she was finding on etsy and she's like someone really should buy all this stuff and keep me from buying it you know this is a 200 vintage glassware and i was like i really want to know the stuff she's not putting on twitter so i searched her handle on etsy and i was like lo and behold she has like two thousand favorites let me see what's available and started clicking through i feel a little bad when i buy vintage stuff out from under these people because (laughs) chances (laughs) are they liked that thing but um i haven't bought anything but i Christmas is coming and you're going to get desperate. And this is a very soothing way to window shop because it's it's like leaning in. Like You can also do this with uh, people you haven't seen in a while. Be like, what is their aesthetic taste? A former coworker of mine, super guff. Everything is black, white, or gray on her, her Etsy. We're friends on Etsy. It's not as creepy as it sounds. But <laughs> <Really>? I highly <laughs> encourage some light Etsy stocking because it's – It's better than Pinterest because if you see a thing you love, you can get it for someone as a gift or for yourself as a gift. And Pinterest is a lot of things that you will never see in real life or cost $10,000. And that's not fun. That's not as fun as this cat's washi tape that an illustrator I follow on Instagram has favorited. And she also put a bunch of Soviet children's books, which looks super fun.
0: <laughs> That's actually a really good tip, and I think I'm going to have to do that in order to uh, get a, a jump on Christmas uh, presents for this year. So
1: I will put the cat washi tape in the show notes because it's delightful.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, we are going to be probably continuing with a little bit more IF Comp coverage, probably one additional episode next week. And uh, so if you have games in this year's IF Comp that you think are interesting or that we should be checking out, uh, let us know what they are. We only have so much time, so we can't cover every single thing. Um, again, we don't pick this stuff necessarily because we think these are the games to play in IF Comp. We're just sort of picking things either randomly or based on what seems appealing to us. It's very possible we're missing really good stuff. Uh, So let us know. We'll probably be back to cover the winners, though, right? Yeah, yeah. We usually do kind of a wrap up at the end to talk about what the winners were. Um, So let us know before the end of the comp, which happens, I think, on November 15th. Uh, So coming up, uh, what you think is the best stuff in the comp, particularly if it's something that we haven't played yet or talked about yet. And we'll make sure to cover it before the end of the competition. Upcoming after the competition, uh, we have a couple of episodes coming up. Are uh, we're going to be talking at? I'm actually not quite sure at the moment of what the order these are going to come out in. um, But we're going to be talking about arcade games on the Switch. The Switch has become a really great place to play old arcade games. There's a lot of great old arcade games that have been reissued. So if you have a favorite arcade game that has been reissued on the Switch, something that came out on an original arcade machine and is now available as a download on the Switch, either as an individual title on its own or as part of a compilation let us know uh last count i think i I mean i did a little spreadsheet and there's almost 300 different uh arcade games available on the switch at the moment so lots to choose from let us know if you have anything that you think is particularly good uh and also we're probably going to be talking very soon about return of the Oberdin, the uh sort of detective nautical weird game from the guy who made Papers, Please. I can't wait to play it. It's been getting amazing reviews. So we're going to be talking about that probably soon as well. Um, those two, we're not quite sure what the order is going to be, but those are both coming up. So uh, let us know about anything that you think is interesting. If you have a short game that you think we ought to try, let us know. Uh, the easiest way to do that is on Twitter, at underscore short game, or you can go to www.theshortgame.net or we've got a contact form. That's an easy way to write us a longer message. I'm Reagan Kelly. You can find me on Twitter, at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter, Laura J. Nash. That is not my Etsy username. (laughs) For the record. I was
0: about to ask that. And Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And I can't remember what my Etsy username is.
1: (laughs) Type it in right now.
0: (laughs) And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.